I've always wanted to draw. It's a skill that I have always wanted to have. I had an older brother who was an amazing drawer. I would watch him draw like anything and everything. And I was just in awe of it. And I've always wanted to. And one year I had a, this was like a few years ago. I had a drawing book, like literally like for kids, like just kind of teach you like the basic like shapes and stuff, right. but it was right. like kind of focused on like medieval stuff. Cause I like fantasy and I've always wanted to draw like fantasy scenes, like knights and stuff like that. I draw this thing and I just follow the steps. Right. And it looks fine. It kind of looks like a cartoon night or whatever. I was infinitely more proud of that, even though I knew it wasn't very good. And I knew I kind of had the rate, like the, the guide to get me there. But I was like, you know what? I did that. Regardless of what anyone else thinks, I did it. And what happens, though, is you end up if you find success and you keep going, you build upon that. And eventually you do become quality. You do start creating quality things. Because I remember when I started Teach Me Teacher, uh, I podcasted a lot, but I wasn't necessarily good, right? I think I had a natural state of just wanting to talk to people, but the, the show, I had some success and I was like, you know, what? I don't care if anyone listens. I'm putting this out there and I think it's a good product. And then after years, I was like, Oh, like I, I do genuinely, I've developed the skill set to podcast with a variety of people in a variety of situations over the period of years. Um, this is what we want for kids, right? We want them to be able to be like, you know what? This isn't very good writing, but I did that in the Mm -hmm. second grade, the third grade, the fourth grade. And then by the time they're seniors, they're writing elegant essays that are getting them massive scholarships, right? Or writing Mm -hmm. something for the public eye or writing something that gets them a great job, right? Like, I mean, there's all kinds of applications for this, but we spend so much time telling kids, nope, you have to do it this way. Nope, you have to write about these topics. Nope, this is wrong. Nope, everything you just turned into me, you need to go fix it all right now. You need to follow my guideline. You need to hit all of these arbitrary timelines that I've set just because someone decided that the grade book should happen this way, right? And then before you know it, how much control have you taken away from kids? And then we go, why don't kids care? But it all goes back to this idea of story. If they don't see themselves in what they're writing or reading or doing, why would they care? Right. No, that's true. They do have to see. And, and um, that's what I was, I think I was telling you right before when we got on, um, one of the other, our, one of our key speakers was, um, I'm, I'm not going to say her name right. She's, it's an Indian name, but it's Sayantani uh, Desgupta. But anyway, she is a young adult, you know, like a, uh, writer for especially for girls who have an Indian background so uh it's her books are they're funny not funny but it's interesting because she's a doctor she's a doctor of medicine and it says here that in what one of the things that she says she bases her books on is in Bengali folklore and string theory she combines folklore with string theory. So she uses that string theory, that physics string string theory to create new places for her, her he- heroine, her hero and the book. And so, um, so anyway, she's got several different things out, but what was fascinating to me was she teaches in uh, Columbia university and she does what they call narrative medicine. 
and I just was fascinated. I, I, she talked mainly about her books and, and what it was to write. But one of the things she did say that she does for the narrative medicine is she teaches other healthcare people how to listen to children's stories so that you can better treat that that person. And she said it. And so the stories that she she. I guess they listen to the kids' stories. They give them an opportunity to tell the the patient to tell that their story, and it it helps that it's cathartic. You know, we always say telling our story is cathartic. It's good for us. It helps us heal. But she says, but it's also we we uh, train them on how to listen to that story and learn and connect so that we can better treat our patients and know what they need. So I was kind of thinking. What if we did that in the classroom? What What do you think? Like if we actually intentionally set forth to listen to our students, really, truly at, at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of, you know, a new, we're about to move into a new semester for many people. So what if you stopped and just really had it took time, not just for them to write their story, but to orally and the oral tradition tell their story. One of the things that I, one of the activities she had us do is she started with their name and she said, why don't you tell the story of your name? And so we all sat there and, and we looked our names up and things like that. So I actually participated in that. And so it was kind of fascinating when, um, and, and, and I just want to say the name of her session was a moon, a dragon and a pen. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. But anyway, and so I, you know, I shared, I don't typically share my writing, but this is what I wrote about my name. Uh, Cause this is what she said. She says it's called trust and building at trust, using trust and using the names and all that to build a safe space. So she also talked about safe space. I'm looking at my notes all of a sudden, but anyway, uh, my name. And this is where she starts. And it's like my name. And so my name is Pamela, right? And it says here, it's me. I, what I wrote was, my name means sweet as honey. I'm not sure it always defines me because I'm not always sweet. <laughs> and you would know that to be true. Often I wake up not feeling so sweet. But my mom and dad see me as sweet. My husband, he divided my name into two parts. And he called me Pam Ella. And my mom named me with two L's and she always apologizes for it. But my nieces call me Pamela with two, Aunt Pamela with two L's. But most people shorten it to Pam. But my grandma, she would add stuff to it like Pamorama. But the last time my husband called me and we didn't have very much time to write. But the last time my husband uh, called and, uh, and talked to me, he, he told me he loved me. And how he said it was, I love you, Pamela Lily. And I think I like it that way the best. So that's what I wrote about. But that tells us. Man, so, you're a good writer. Yeah, well, that's what I wrote at that moment. But it was about my name. And so I was thinking that if we did that strategy, and it's her strategy, it's not my strategy. But if we did that strategy with our kids at the beginning of this new semester, right? Just have them talk about their name. Have them look at what their name means. Like, you know, my son and I had this big, huge conversation one time um i was surprised by is the point but i named my son uh patrick and uh and it means noble and 
And his middle name is David, and it means to be loved. So I wanted him to be a noble person, right? And so that's kind of how I named him was based on the meaning. So we had a conversation about that one day. And he has taken uh, care. He says, actually, he thinks names make people who they are. Like, when you actually look your name, you discover your own attributes in your name sometimes. And if not, you kind of live to see what those are. So there's there's all different types of attributes to a person's name. But um, she, uh, this this uh, doctor, Dasgupta, she talked about her name and she pronounced it in a way that it is pronounced in Bengali or India. And, and uh, I could not say that if I had to, I think right now you'd have to really train me. But she talked about how she had to settle for the way other people could say her name. But she, because of that's her story, she took it upon herself to listen to other people like her patients and what their names mean. But it's a way to enter into the history of their name, like the, the etymology, if you will, of their name. So I thought it was just kind of fascinating. Uh, that seemed to be the theme this year. It was funny because several people shared that. But if our listeners haven't done that, that might be something to try in order to enter into our students' stories so and then celebrate I, their names. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of names. I uh, did a whole lesson on this, um, sort of. Not, not this strategy, but something similar. So I'll share this too. Just um, okay. I think it's relevant for people. Uh and I, it's funny, I was just talking about this with a friend because I think it's really amazing. But uh, I did it with slam poetry, of course. But there is a slam poem from Pages Matam. That's one. That's his name. Elizabeth mm-hmm. Acevedo, who wrote uh, The Poet X. And G. Yamazawa. And it's okay. a poem called Unforgettable. You can watch this on YouTube. It's three of them doing a slam poem at the same time. But it's about their names, right? And it's about kind of like oh. the origin of their names and whatnot. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of great references. I will say content warning. I know we have a lot of elementary uh, people that listen to this podcast. This is not an elementary poem. <laughs> this is a poem that I literally, I went to, sorry for my squeaky chair, I went to my uh, principal when I wanted to do this and I said, Hey, this video says the S word. I would really like to use it. Here's why it says at one time it's very fast. And she was like, yeah, you're fine. It's good. She was like, if anyone complains, we'll never use it again, but no one complained. um, And it was good. She gave me the, the, the leeway, but as it turns out, so the whole poem is about names, right? And not feeling, uh, connected to your name for a variety of reasons. And all three of them kind of have a different perspective on what their actual name means and uh, how like other people uh, talk about that. Like one of the best lines I think in it is talking about how in different cultures uh, names mean certain things, but in America it's more important to be accessible Right. That's why we make so many right. nicknames for things. It, it was, it, there's a lot of cool, like one liners. Like, I mean, you could pick apart the poem in so many different ways and it's so, mm-hmm. it's so good, but they, uh, one of the things that I had kids do when we analyzed this is the day I did this, ironically enough, one of my assistant principals walked in, he is a Hispanic man. And when he heard the poem, he was like, can I talk for a second? I was like, sure. Um, and he gave the story that his name, uh, his mom 
came from a place where, you know, they had, you know, very Hispanic names and whatnot. But when she had him, she named him a very not Hispanic name because she wanted him to fit in. So he literally connected to the poem on such a huge level. But then a lot of our students, you know, we taught in uh, schools where, you know, white populations were the minority, right? So we had kids from all kinds of countries. You know, the, the school that I taught at the longest had kids from 40 different countries. Um, so we always had a really diverse population. And so when they hear something like this and they talk about their names and what they mean, and a lot of these kids, you know, what have they heard so many times? They've heard people mispronounce their names. They've heard teachers oh, yeah. or, or like, but not even just mispronounce, but like mispronounce and not care. Right. Like that's always the thing. Like it, it, there's a difference between like accidentally saying something wrong and then just like purposely going, ah, well, I can't say it the right way. So I'm just going to say it this way. Right. Like I just had a guest on, um, it's funny cause this still happens in the adult world. I had a guest on teach me teacher recently. He's from Germany. Um, and I kind of pronounced his name and I said it one way and he goes, yeah, that's good. That's fine. And I go, no, no. I was like, tell me how to actually say it. And so, like, I forced him to, like, not let me be okay with just kind of saying it a certain way. Because I was like, no, it's mm -hmm. your name, man. Like, I, it's cool. Like, I, I mean, I might still butcher it because I don't have, like, certain habits of language. But I think that that stuff's important. So to go back to what you were talking about, which is this idea of getting kids to think about their names. I think it's a really cool way to get them to start talking about their identity and guess, but this is also something I, I want to put a red flag on this. Can I do that for a second? Sure. How many times have we seen get to know you activities be manipulated into just some boring worksheet that kids don't talk about? Like, the, the, Oh, that's they, true. Mm -hmm. Right. Where they're like, this is my name. Like they do a name poem. And it's just, oh, yeah, no, we, we were forced to have to do a name poem. I think it was written in our curriculum uh huh, or stuff like yeah. that to where it, in and of itself, that's not a bad idea, right? Like it's, no. it, it's, it's right. fine. But when it's a forced concept on something, um, that's when this stuff goes wrong. Cause it's like, okay, guys, write about your name. Here's the five things I want you to do. It's like that defeats literally the entire purpose of this. Right. There's lessons that are designed to get kids to do certain things, right? There's assignments that are designed, but there's also broad concepts that something like this, I feel like fits into that category to where we want kids to write. We want them to look at themselves and go, what does your name mean? Look it up, find the history, find the, the origin. What does that make you think about? How does that connect to you? Do you feel a connection to that? Are there stories that connect to this? And then let them, let their creative minds flow and you're mm -hmm. going to get this engagement. You're going to get words on the page. You're going to get them thinking in abstract ways that they wouldn't do just from a prompt. And I think there's, there's room for both kinds of lessons. You need lessons where you're like, Hey, this is what we're learning. I need you to do that and demonstrate that you can do it. But what we're talking about is, is such a deeper level of lesson design of, mm -hmm. of, of, uh, getting kids to really think deeply about themselves because we want that on the page. If we want to listen to kids, tell their stories, we have to set up our classrooms and our assignments in order to allow them to have that freedom. And if they never have that freedom, we're going to get this very, uh, <laughs> lack of a better word, I guess. Like, I mean, uh, well, I'll pick a different one. Censored version of themselves. I almost said circumcised. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be a different version. <laughs> <laughs> 
anyway, it's the right same concept though. It's the, it's, it's, this is the stuff that gets me fired up. I love these talks because this is, to me, this is the heart of literacy instruction. It's the heart of writing instruction and reading instruction. It's who are you? And how does that affect what you want to say? And how does that affect your perception on everything? And you, I think if you can get kids to even start thinking about that, to even start being introspective, we all know kids aren't really introspective, right? They're, they're just, they're self-absorbed, but they're not introspective. There's two separate things. But if we can get kids to do that, guess what? Now, when you're like, what is your argument against this? They can do that because they're looking in on themselves and they're not just trying to make an argument to get a grade. They're like, no, I feel this way because doesn't mean they're going to create the most persuasive argument. doesn't mean anything. But if they're passionate, guess what that gives you as a tool, as a teacher? It gives you a launching pad into saying, hey, you really care about this? Let's add some grammar. Let's teach some structure. Let's talk about how different structures can affect people differently. Let's talk about when and why to break structure for your own purposes. You don't get to those conversations in a meaningful way if kids never care and this is what we're talking about, though, is getting them to do that. And it could happen like this. Hey, we're talking about names. We're looking at ourselves. We're looking at identity. You show them the slam poem where a bunch of people are talking about their names. You show them a piece from uh, Sandra Cisneros. I've got it up here them. right there now. There you go. What's that called? Yeah, it's it's from the house on Mango Street. Yeah. And it's called My Name. And all yes. I did was we Google use it. This. And it starts out the way I started. I think it's because uh, the... Uh, Dr. Dasgupta was the one that kind of shared it with us, which is probably how I based it. So that's using model text, right? You're about to use model text with your poem. But it did start in English, my name means hope. In Spanish, it means too many letters. And so it, it it's at school, they say my name is funny. So yeah, that's the one. And so that could be a nice model text about how to approach it. Now, so when you said that, I thought, well, I had it up. So well, I what's jumped funny, in there. What's funny. So that was in our curriculum. But you know what we had the freedom to do? Uh, and it was partly because of our campus. But what we did was, is we used that. And we had kids analyze their names. But guess what? I didn't make an assignment based on that. That was one mini lesson. Yeah. Where I said, here is a way, because it was about identity, right? I wanted them, because our our goal was personal narrative, right? Let's put this in a bigger context for people that are listening. The goal was a personal narrative. And what do I yeah. always say? I say, why does it have to be a very specific format? Why can't we do a personal narrative in poem? Why can't we do a personal narrative through a variety of means? And so mm -hmm. what do I do? I pull out that and I say, hey, what is this telling us? Oh, it's telling about them, right? It is a personal narrative. She's telling us what her names mean. So we're learning about her or her experiences. We're learning about how other people have treated her based on her name, on her culture, et cetera, et cetera. And so I put that out there and we analyze it and we do all the standards and we focus. But then guess what? The next day I pull something else that's personal. And we go, how is this a personal narrative? Then the third day I do it again. And then I say, Based on these three examples, you go forth and we're going to continue talking about personal narrative in the lessons, but I'll give you three model texts. Pick one that connects to you or come up with your own idea and go forth. And to me, that is how you avoid saying, all right, guys, here is uh, 
the piece that we're reading. Yep. My name. Okay. So your, my name, uh, personal narrative should have, uh, two similes, one metaphor. It should connect to a theme and you have to have your rough draft due to me in two days. You just took a great idea and put all of these restrictions on it and just and 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 mutilate it for no reason. But what you but what you really did is you know that space we talked about earlier is you took that space away. Yeah. That space of where they could write about what they needed to write about. You took that space away from them. And now they'll you also took their trust away because, because they don't trust that your space is a safe space anymore. Exactly. Because it's you control it, right? We talk about mm-hmm. this. Don Graves has the best mm-hmm. research on this where he talks about the moment you take a kid's paper and write on it, you're telling them that it doesn't belong to them. The moment that you tell them what to write about, the moment like that's what it is. And there's a difference between two writers talking and saying, you know what? I think this line could be turned into a simile. I think you have a metaphor here. We just need to refine it. You have a theme here. Let's develop that. There is, that is a different conversation than, okay, you need these three things. Oh, they're not present. I'm going to mark you off five points each. Mm -hmm. Those are vastly different conversations. Yeah. And I think that is, well, and it's, it's, it's the robbing of control. That's what, I mean, this is what rightfully empowered is all about. Um, is is how to not get in the way of kids and let them write and then putting the the challenge of the teacher. I know it it seems fine to be like, you know what, we need to write this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna go through it this way. And I've seen effective lessons and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but we're talking about something bigger here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about bigger ideas, we're talking about connecting to kids at their core. Um, and I think it changes, I think it changes lives to approach lesson design like this. It's like, are you going to capture every kid with the, the, the piece from, uh, Sandra Cisneros? No, but if you do a bunch of things about identity throughout the week and then to ask kids, Hey, what's your connection to this? Was this, you're going to capture all of them eventually, but where Mm -hmm. you go wrong is saying you have to do it this way. Why? 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 Why do we have to do something a certain way? There are times where that is applicable, yes, but I would argue that we put way more restrictions on lessons than we really need to, and then again, that's where you get disengagement. That's where kids feel disconnected from their education. Like That's the worst crime is it's their education, and kids feel disconnected from it. No, I, I agree. And uh, were you going to share that podcast, the your poem or not? Which one? Because now you got me curious about all the names. Well, it's a. It's you don't have audio. to share it. I was. It's oh, it's audio. audio. Oh, okay. I mean, I can figure out how to play it on here. We tried to do that live. <laughs> <laughs> no. I wouldn't mind to. I think people would actually love listening to it, but. Might put a link to it or something. Yeah, I just don't yeah. even know. If I could do it, let me see. Let me see if I can do it here. Share sound. Hang on. Let's see. Okay. Let's see. Look, I'm going to share this. Let's see if you can hear it. Can you hear that? You can't hear that at all? Teachers used to say, your behavior is just like your life. Dang. See, I don't I don't know how to do that. If someone can help me with that, that'd be wonderful. Because I said share sound, but it won't work. Well, anyway. Our own little lesson. But maybe you put a link on it. 
Yeah, but, maybe um, I could I could always get the audio and plug it in for people to listen to, but it does have yeah. a naughty word in it. Uh oh. We might want to put a disclaimer. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but you know, I, I I don't know. I think I think we all started this idea of story and you don't have to start with name. That's just what this particular person in our presentation did. But but I think I think starting this, just paying attention, and we can do it through conferencing, you know, those types of things, watching and seeing what books they select, because that tells us a lot about their stories. Uh, just listening um, to them when they, you know, when they when they talk to you, ask them questions, you know, um, but but really show an interest in each child. Try to figure out. Even if you have to do like three a day, you know what I mean? Just in your in that one class. I mean, you can't do it. You have to teach. But when you're walking around in the middle of your workshop, when they're bringing their stories to you or their or their papers or what they're interested in, I, you know, always like to find out what they're interested in because that's how they end up. I allow them to use those things they're interested in to create their informational text and their persuasive text. And then we share and then we we exchange ideas and we allow that in the classroom. But if I'm out and about in my classroom listening to these conversations, paying attention to their questions that they have for me, all of that is a part of their story. And by really, truly listening and taking to heart, and maybe, and you're really good at this, about taking anecdotal notes, you know, uh, things like that. You know, something catches your attention, kind of kind of put it in your memory or, or jot it down somehow. And, um, and really listen in and then use their stories to inform you on what you need to do next, I think is, is something that... Um, I think it was really a neat concept for this whole entire uh, conference that I went through that just seemed to be the theme. It didn't, I just seemed like no matter where I even went to a punctuation conference uh, session and it was all about, you know, listening to them to find out what they don't know or what they do know, and then encourage them to continue and explore grammar based or in punctuation based on what they want to say and allow that, punctuation to help them express their stories because punctuation adds meaning. It was just kind of fascinating how that seemed to um, be the message all weekend, the last four days. It, it was really kind of neat. And I think what's happening to us, and I heard this as well, and that is when I say us, I'm talking about Texas, but I think it's, I think it's just based on some of the things that you and I've heard from, uh, that we've heard from uh, other places, you know, who people ask questions and things like that from other places, is I think what's happening is our voices, our teacher voices are not being heard. And I think because of this um, desire to write prescriptive lessons for ourselves where you have to be lockstep with your neighbor based on what somebody else outside your classroom has written, whether it's a program or anything like that, they're taking our voice away and it's making it more and more difficult to 
not do the worksheet you're talking about. So we've got to take whatever we're being told we have to do and we got to figure out spaces. I don't know why I'm into the space thing, probably because of what I've been hearing, but spaces in our day where we can let these kids have those choices and those writing moments and their opportunity to, to tell their story so that we can listen. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this philosophical conversation. That's Pat Show. I'm Jacob Chastain. We're two educators down in the state of Texas. Do what we love, talking about reading our workshop and so much more. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash craft and draft, just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna all have. They support us. They get bonus content. They get bonus PD, just like you can. Once again, patreon.com slash craft and draft. The link is always in the post. Go catch up there. If you can't subscribe, so you don't miss any other episodes. Leave a review and come back next week for another fantastic conversation. And know that we are here for you. <laughs>